Lord, we thank you again for bringing us here. We thank you for the power, Lord, your resurrection power living with us, within us, Lord. And, and Lord, I love that. I love that you are here with us right now, even as we've been worshiping you and just sitting before your feet, God. We, we drink in the Holy Spirit. We drink in, God, your presence because we're thirsty, Lord, and we're thirsting after you. So we ask, God, that you would fill us, Lord, with your word today. As we get into the study of your word, speak to us through your spirit, God. Speak deeply into us, Lord, and change us, Lord, from who we are right now. And if we, as we walked out the doors today, Lord, at the end of the service, may we be different. So, Lord, may the power of your word and the power of your spirit and the power of your presence here change us today. We give you this time, Lord, anoint it with your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. When the Keiki Church director was with the fourth grade Sunday school class, he, for some reason, talked about marriage as part of the lesson. Well, at the end of his speaking, he asked the kids, So, after all that I have said, can anyone tell me what does God say about marriage? Well, the class went quiet. After looking around at the blank faces of these kids, he tried again. The teacher said, okay, I just told you all this. What does God say about marriage? What does the Bible say about marriage? Well, just then a hand shot up and this young boy replied, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. (laughs) I like that. Well, there's some confusion there in the classroom that day. Well, as we return to the study, our study in the book of First Corinthians, we find there was some confusion with the Corinthian believers about their different marriage situations that they were in. So Paul writes to clarify things and to help them honor what God says about marriage and so that they would live even honorably before the Lord. So the title of our message this morning is Maintain Your Honor. Maintain Your Honor. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 7, picking it up at verse 10. Last time we were together, we ended at verse 9. So we're going to start verse 10 and go through verse 16 this morning. Our outline, we're going to see three things is this. Number one, by living the promise. Maintain your honor by living the promise. Number two, by lifting the name. And number three, by leading the mission. Now, take note as we get into our study this morning, 1 Corinthians 7 is all about singleness and marriage, as those of you who have been with us. If you missed our last study a couple weeks ago, grab the CD, because as we go verse by verse through this chapter, we're going to do this four-part series in this chapter. And today we come to the second message of this four-part series. Last time we saw maintain your purity. Remember that. Maintain your purity. Today, maintain your honor. Maintain your honor. So let's begin here with number one, by living the promise. Number one in our outline, by living the the promise. Now take a look with me here. First Corinthians chapter seven, beginning here, verse 10. And we'll look at verse 11 also. Verse 10, it says, now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her 
husband. Verse 11. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. All right, we begin here. Paul is speaking to those who are married. Remember, he kind of ended talking about single people and grabbed the CD in that sense. But, but Paul now is speaking to those who are married. And he says, now to the married, I command. In other words, he's saying, it's not so much me saying this, but it's what the Lord commands. It's what God commands. And what does he command? He says, a wife is not to depart. The word depart there means to leave, to separate. And the idea is not to divorce her husband. So wife is not to divorce her husband, leave or separate from, leave her marriage or separate from her husband and divorce him. And the same goes with the husband because at the end of verse 11, Paul writes, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So the same thing goes with the husband. He's not to leave, separate, depart or divorce uh, his wife. Now you remember when we started this chapter, Paul is responding to what the Corinthian believers has written to him about. He's answering some questions. And from verse 1 through 9, we saw that it, it, about how it is good for singles with that gift of singleness that we talked about to continue to stay single and abstain from sexual sin, from sexual immorality, to sleeping with one another outside of marriage, which is a sin before God, to maintain your purity in that sense. So it's good for singles to live in that gift of singleness and to stay single and abstain. And it's also good, we saw last time, for the married to be married. Because within marriage, God created sex as part of that oneness, yeah? So that we would maintain our purity before God rather than, remember we saw in verse 9, burn with passion, which meant lust, right, in sin. So now Paul's going on here in verse 10. He goes on and Paul responds to those who say, well, maybe now, maybe we've been thinking, Paul, the way to be more spiritual, yeah, to be, the way to be more holy is actually let's to get a divorce so that we don't have to mess with that, that sexual thing and stay celibate before God. Well, Paul's saying, wait, wait, wait a minute here. Now, remember, we saw you've been talking about that sex within marriage. That's great. Outside of it, it's a sin. But within marriage, it's part of that oneness. It's part of what God, God has done. So Paul say, no, wait, wait. Don't even go there. Don't even think about that. So Paul is really answering that question. Well, what does God say about our marriage now? Well, Paul says a wife or a husband is not to get a divorce. Now, notice in verse 10, Paul puts this principle as a command, right? That the Lord says, it is a command, not a suggestion here. Yeah. God is very, very serious about this. And we touched on that last time. You remember, uh, or, or I remind you what the Lord says in Malachi chapter 216, right? The Lord says, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Remember, because God put man and woman together. It's His plan. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God, what God has joined together, let not man 
separate. So what Paul is saying here in these two verses is that divorce is not an option. That's his point. Divorce is not an option. Why is that? Well, we've been learning. And I'll bring it up into your minds again. Why? Because God's blueprint for marriage is a man and a woman to be together, what? For life, right? For life. I like something that Warren Wiersbe said about marriage. He said this, his original plan was that one man and one woman be one flesh for one lifetime. I like how he said that. So here's Paul saying, hey, look, you guys, what does God say about marriage? Divorce is not an option. God's blueprint for marriage is for a man and woman to be together for life. So divorce is not an option. We understand that. At least we should, because I know for me, when I perform wedding ceremonies, we, I weave into the wedding vows that couples would promise each other, not only promise each other, but promise God, right, to love each other, to stay together. And what do we weave into these words, the vows? Till death do us part, right? Or we weave in those words, as long as we both shall live. Or we put that word forever into it. Speaking about our commitment to one another as we stand before God, committing to God forever, to be together forever, as this is God's blueprint for marriage, that you, we would be together for life. Divorce is not an option. Well, this morning, remind your heart that. Remind that. What your vows for your marriage is. It's all about what God has designed. What He planned. What His will is. What He commands. So maintain your honor for God. Yeah, Honor God in your commitment. Live honorably before Him by maintaining your honor. By staying together. By committing. And knowing that divorce is not an option. Let me tell you, the D word, divorce I'm talking about, should never be in your mouth. You should wash your mouth out of that word. You should never use that in your marriage as a threat, as a a manipulation, as a a retaliation. That should never be used because it's not of God. God says divorce is not an option. And so we need to live the promise, the vow that we made. To each other as husband and wife. We need to live the promise. Now look again here at verse 11. Look again at verse 11. Paul says this. He says at the beginning. He says, but even if she doesn't depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Now Paul is speaking to those who are have Departed, who have divorced. Paul's now speaking to those in a unlawful divorce. First he wrote to those who are married, but now he's talking to those who are in an unlawful divorce. See, if divorce is not an option and God designed marriage to last a lifetime, Paul's saying, look, if a wife does depart, if she does divorce, then you know what? She should, first of all, remain unmarried stay single that's one option here paul is putting forth why is that well because god does not recognize the unlawful or unbiblical divorce and to marry someone else is to commit adultery because why 
if it's unlawful, it's unbiblical, God still considers this first marriage in his eyes as the legal marriage. But if it's unbiblical, unlawful, then they're still considered married. One commentator said, God will not recognize divorce even if the state does. If God does not recognize the divorce, then the individual is not free to remarry. And I like that. They're not free. They're still bound to the first marriage. It's adultery. So Paul's saying, look, even if you're in this situation now, you know, and you did divorce and it's unlawful, then, you know, one option is, hey, Remain unmarried. Stay single so you don't sin before God and commit adultery. But then there's another option. And the other option, he says here in verse 11, or be reconciled to her husband. Be reconciled. Be restored. The idea, work things out. The idea is get back together with the husband so you can get back to God's design for marriage. And of course, the same goes with the husband who had divorced his wife. Understand now, when Paul's writing this, he's writing to these people under living under Roman rule, right? And Roman law had it that you can divorce your 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 wife or your husband for any reason at all. So so they get married, but then they get divorced, left and right. You know, it was just going on going on all the time. So this kind of thinking had leaked into the church. Remember, Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers trying to correct some funny things that are going on in the church. And here's one of them. This kind of thinking, the, oh, we can divorce for any reason or whatever, whenever we feel like this leaked into the church. And the sacredness of marriage was being abused and neglected here. So, so Paul said, hey, you know, those you guys are in unlawful divorce now. You know, if the divorce, if, if your divorce, you know what? Either stay single or get remarried. Be reconciled. Okay, the question comes up then. What is a lawful divorce? I mean, in God's eyes. What, what, what would be right? Uh, when is a person legally before the Lord free to marry? Now, this brings up a lot of complicated situations, but the Bible is pretty clear on when someone is free to remarry before God, uh, the Lord's eyes. And I want to go over, take a moment and go over this with you guys. There's three cases where you're free to remarry, where it's a biblical uh, separation or divorce, and you're free to remarry. Number one is this, in the case of Death. Number one is the case of death. Take a moment, turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 2. Romans chapter 7, verse 2. Number one is in the case of death. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 2. He says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as what? As long as he lives till death do us part. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Or that legally, uh, biblically before the Lord, her marriage with the husband. So, number one, in the case of death, if the spouse dies, then the surviving, the widow, is free to remarry someone else. So the widower is released from that marriage vow, from that legal 
a binding law before the Lord and is free to remarry someone else in the case of death. So that's number one. That's what the Bible tells us. Number two is in the case of adultery. In the case of adultery. Turn more to the left to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. It's the first book of the New Testament. And here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. They bring up this whole issue of of marriage and divorce and all that. We're just going to look at a, a, a small portion of this. Matthew chapter 19 verse 7. Matthew 19, verse 7. And this is, this is talking about the case of adultery when a spouse is, say, unfaithful, sleeps with someone else, then the Lord says divorce is permitted. Matthew 19, verse 7. They, this is the Pharisees, said to him, to Jesus, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away, to separate from her? Well, verse 8. He said, that's Jesus, said to the Pharisees, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So you see in verse 8 that that Jesus is responding to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, you know, they first say in verse 7, oh, Moses commanded to give a divorce. But Jesus corrects them, says, no, no, it wasn't that. God never commanded divorce. He only permitted divorce. He allowed it. For that was not how God designed marriage. And what are we learning, right? Marriage is supposed to be for life. So Jesus saying, hey, divorce is not an option. It's not an option. But look, God allows it. God will permit it. Why? It says here, because of the hardness of your heart. Hardness speaking about because of the unrepentant heart because of the the unrepentant heart god's going to allow and that is the spouse who committed sin and that is adultery so if you go on verse 9 this is what jesus is talking about and say to you whoever divorces his wife except for what sexual immorality unfaithfulness yeah sexual sin adultery and marries another commits adultery whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery and that's exactly what we saw in first corinthians seven eleven. that no don't you know either stay single get married or else what you commit adultery so number two here when is a person legally free to remarry or what what is a, a lawful divorce i mean well in the case of death that's not divorce but you're free to remarry but number two is in the case of adultery and god permits it god allows it this is what the bible tells us and so i want to start getting it clear into your minds what god has and what god has laid out for us because there is a lot of confusion out there so number one in the case of death number two in the case of adultery there's actually one more there's number three in the case of an unbeliever departing when an unsafe spouse chooses to leave and divorce the believing spouse the one who believes in jesus and you know paul's going to be covering that later and we're going to look at that later so understand these things there's three reasons in a case of death in a case of adultery in a case of an unbeliever departing then god will recognize that as a lawful or biblical divorce separation and you're free to remarry so in an unbiblical divorce, 
Back to 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is saying, hey, remain single or reconciled so not to abandon God's design for marriage, but you know what, to honor it. If you're not in a biblical divorce, if, if, if something you know, isn't right, then remember he's talking to these believers in Corinthian church that they're all mixed up in their head. They've been influenced by what the, the world around them is saying. They're, and they're, whoa, you know, what do I do? Whoa, you know what? You, you don't want to sin before God, commit adultery. If it isn't uh, a biblical divorce, then remain single. Or, you know, work on getting reconciled, you know. So don't just go divorcing for, for any reason. That's not right. Don't, so try and keep that marriage together. And all that's in this thought when he says, basically here his point is in an unbiblical divorce, remain single or reconcile. So to not abandon God's design for marriage, but honor it. Honor what God has set up. You know, I was looking this up. It's interesting in Hawaii, where we in our own state, uh, they have what you call a no-fault divorce. We're considered a no-fault divorce state. What that means is no matter who did what to whom, it doesn't matter because you can file for just a plain reason of incom- incompatibility. That, that could be the reason. Oh, we're just inc- incompatible. Now, other states here require grounds for fault divorce. Yeah. Other states will, 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 will put that out. Like, well, no, you got to have, it has to be a fault divorce. But not Hawaii. It's, it's a no fault uh, state here. And that's exactly what I hear people say. Oh, we're incompatible, right? Or, or we just don't get along or it didn't work out. You know, or, you know, I, I, it just, it's just not right, that kind of thing. And it's true, marriage is not easy, but we make that commitment, right, for better or for worse. Not just for the good times, but we stay even for the bad times. And we have to remember that, that Paul is being straight up here, and it's God speaking here. Maybe you're here today and you're going through the worst times, you know. Maybe your first reaction is, well, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to divorce. You know what? I encourage you, don't abandon what God has set out. Pray through it. Hold on. Honor the Lord, you know. Get some counseling. You know, you know don't go around looking for someone else. That, well, I don't get along, so I'm going to look for someone else. No, that, that's not how God put together things. Do your best. Honor the Lord. Do your best to live your promise and live honorably before God. Maintain your honor. Try and reconcile. Think about it this way. Many times in counseling I say this. I tell couples. I tell those who are, who are just going through a rough time. And uh, You know what? Think about this. God is a God of reconciliation. He is, right? I mean, shouldn't then we also try and work toward that? Do everything we can? And I'll tell you, even in the case of adultery. Some people, well, if it's adultery, it doesn't mean automatically you file for divorce. No, you still try and seek some reconciliation. But if the hardness of heart, they don't want to, then okay, you're free. You're free to remarry. But God is a God of reconciliation. Think about this. Even with Israel, even with Israel, God is reaching out to Israel. We find in Jeremiah 3.8, the Lord Himself gave Israel a certificate of divorce. Why? Because of adultery. That's what He told Israel. They 
were committing adultery, going after other idols. So God said in Jeremiah, you know what, I'm giving you a certificate of divorce. But we read in the New Testament, Romans 11.1, 1, Paul says, Has God cast away His people? Certainly not. In other words, there's going to be a time when God will sovereignly reach out to Israel and bring her back to Him. And we know this. We know. We see that happen in the book of Revelation. We see that once again, God reaches out to Israel. God pulls her in. God protects her. They get saved. They believe in Jesus Christ and God will reconcile the relationship. So, if it's God's heart, and that this is what He's already doing with Israel, shouldn't we do all we can to reconcile the relationship? It's hard. We, we, we get into times. I think, you know, the things that happen between you and your spouse, yeah, the, they can be the hardest thing, the, the deepest, most hurtful things. Why? Because of that bond, yeah. Because of that marriage bond is so one that God created. And so when things happen, it rips at you like no other relationship. Nothing ever could. But even with that, we need to stick to God's plan and His design, even when it's hard. During World War II, the Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, told the country, wars are not won by evacuation. I like that. So we do everything we can to get back together. On their 50th wedding anniversary, the husband was asked, what's the secret to a great anniversary? Well, the man replied, well, my wife and I like to travel. We've traveled all over the world. The interviewer asked, well, where did you take your wife on your 25th anniversary? The man said, well, we went to Beijing, China. It was a wonderful trip. And so, the interviewer said, where are you going for your 50th anniversary? Well, the man answered, going back to Beijing to get her. It's a joke. <laughs> hey, but the idea, let's go back to what God designed. Let's live out the promise made. Now, you might be sitting here feeling horrible. What if I went through a divorce before I was with Jesus? And think about it. This is what's going on in Corinthian church, right? They've come to be saved. And now they're in this situation. What about our marriages now, Paul? I mean, you've taught us these things. What, what, what do we do? I, I, I've been divorced. Yeah, I, I, I've gone through that before I knew Jesus. Well, you know what I say to you? Hey, in Jesus, after the cross, we have a new life. We have a new start. The cross gives us forgiveness. And we can start anew in Jesus Christ through His grace and mercy. Well, Rick, what, what, as a believer, I, I, I divorced my spouse. I, I, I don't know what to do now. Well, look at what Paul says. Well, uh, is it reconcilable? Is it something at this moment that you can try and reconcile? Is there some hope there? Stay single, he's saying then. You know, don't get remarried. Don't go looking for someone else. Try and get back to God's original design. I'll tell you, if you've been divorced as a believer and time has gone on, uh, maybe they're even remarried or whatever, having another relationship, and think, things are just past, you know what? Move on. Just move on. From this day forth, move on in the Lord. From this t- time, go on. 
be forgiven, right? Jesus died on the cross for all our sins. Know that today. His blood washes us clean. Yeah. And so move on now. And just like, remember, the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. And what did Jesus tell her? Sin no more. Move on. You're forgiven. I no longer condemn you. Move on and sin no more. Just don't get yourself into that whole mess again. So, maintain your honor here by living the promise. Let's go on to number two now in our outline. By lifting the name. By lifting the name. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Back there, verse 12 now, 12 and 13, Paul writes, But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Any woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. So now Paul moves on here. He spoke to those who are married, you know, those of who have, have gone through divorce. What do we do? Now Paul speaks to those who are married to an unbeliever. Now Paul says, but to the rest, Paul speaks to those in a different situation that he just talked about. And he says something interesting here. He says, I, not the Lord, say. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul is like, well, God's not saying this, this is me. No, Paul means that he, Jesus never really addressed, addressed this situation. But now through the Holy Spirit, Paul is going to give God's word on this. And we know First Corinthians is in our Bible. It became part of God's word. It's God's word. So this is the Lord now putting this forth. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm relaying this from the Lord, even though Jesus didn't cover this. And what is he saying? Well, if a husband has a wife who does not believe, if you have a wife who is not a Christian, who has not given their life to the Lord, accepted Jesus, become a new life. But if the wife is still willing to live with him, that is to stay in the marriage, then you know what? Let the husband or not divorce her so and same goes with the woman or wife let uh, a wife married to a husband who is not a christian not divorce him so understand again paul is writing to these guys remember they had sent some letter probably there's a question like hey you know paul i i i came to jesus when you came to town and started this church i'm a christian now and but but my my wife never came to the lord and, or maybe there's a wife who's writing that question. You know, I came to Jesus and, oh, you know, I have a new life. I'm going to heaven. I'm so happy. But my husband is still not a believer. What do we do? Maybe for us to be more holy is to divorce this unbeliever. I mean, you know, God's not in them. God is in me. Maybe if I stay married to this person, I'll be defiled by this unbeliever. Maybe it's better that I get a divorce. So Paul's point is, no. If the unbeliever is willing to stay with you, even though you're a Christian, do not divorce. If the unbeliever is willing to stay with you, even though you're, you're a Christian, do not divorce. Now, some of you may be thinking about 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? 
So many of us understand that. Is this contradicting what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? No, it's not. Well, in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is talking about a believer getting married or hooking up with an unbeliever. They're not married yet. It really applies to even partnerships. If you go and we can apply it to if you're going in business with an unbeliever, hey, do you really want to hook up in that way? You know, your perspectives, uh, uh, your life before God, uh, your morals and your character will be different. You know, your outlook would be different with the unbeliever. So 2 Corinthians 6.14 talks about these partnerships. And if you want to apply it to dating, if you want to apply it to to singles looking for someone to to marry because God has put it in them to do that, you know what Paul's saying? Hey, do not be unequally yoked. Don't be yoked like oxen put together to go work in the field. No. So that's talking about a believer getting married or trying to hook up to an unbeliever. But not a believer already married. And that's what Paul is talking about here. If you're already married, don't divorce them. They want to stay with you, stay with them. Why? Because the idea is marriage is a sacred union that God designed. Right? It's God creation. So whether a believer or not, the marriage is still honored and still to be respected. You know, some uh, uh, have come to me and, you know, in the past years and told me that, you know, when they got married, it it was not for the right reasons. When when I got married, I, I didn't know all these things, you know. And now that I've been studying the Bible, I've learned all this stuff. And now it's like, now I understood what marriage is about. And so the question comes up, well, maybe it wasn't the right thing for me to get married. Maybe, maybe it's not God's will. Maybe I should get a divorce. Well, the answer is no. Whatever the circumstances were, you're now, mar- you're now married in God's eyes. No matter the problems, whatever. You know what? All married people go through problems. Even the, the perfect you know, wife and the perfect husband and the perfect marriage... There's no such thing. <laughs> There's no such thing. Yeah. Uh, you can ask my wife. <laughs> She's perfect, but I'm not. But, but, but you, you know, you understand, we all go through problems, and that's not the reason. Oh, maybe it wasn't God's will, and you see, we're incompa- incompatible here. No. I'll tell you, let me tell you right now, it's normal to have your argument. It's normal to fight. And, and uh, I can talk to you about that and what God uses those, how God uses those things for us to, to grow. It's normal. But see, Paul says the idea of marriage, it's a sacred union, yeah, that God has designed. So I say, no, if they want to stay, you know what? Honor God's sacred union while trusting God's sovereign plan. That's how I put it. That's how, if you're married to an unbeliever, it's not easy, I know. If you're married to an unbeliever and, and, and just, it's hard because of your outlooks and everything. You know what? Honor God's sacred union. And you know what? Trust God in His sovereign plan in all of this. Well, Paul says something else to these people in these situations. Look at verse 14. Paul says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So Paul says, you know, if the unbelieving spouse wants to stay, don't divorce, stay together. You know why? Because the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And vice versa, the wife is sanctified by the husband. Now, what sanctified, that means set apart. We know that word. So understand though, first of all, Paul's not saying the unbelievers automatically save because he or she is married to a Christian. That's not what he's saying. Yeah. I mean, no one can get into heaven just because they're married to a believer, right? Or even the kids. They're, just because they're in a, their, their, their mom and dad are Christians doesn't mean the kid can just go to heaven automatically. No, what Paul is talking about, Paul speaks of how an unbeliever is set apart in position, so to speak. Set apart in the place of blessing because of the Christian wife or husband. Listen to what the New Living Translation, it renders this this way. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage. The idea is the Christian spouse brings the influence of Jesus into the relationship that wasn't there before. That's the idea. Remember back in Genesis, after Jacob lived with Laban, right? The, the, the future father-in-law for a while. or Well, they got married, so he's with the future father-in-law. And in Genesis 30, verse 27, Laban, the father-in-law, said to Jacob, Please stay, Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sakes or because of you. You know what? Jacob, stay here. Stay living with me because I've been blessed because of you. That's the idea. The Christian spouse brings the influence of Jesus into the relationship that wasn't there before. And so the unbelieving husband is sanctified. In the same sense, Paul adds, without the Christian wife or the Christian husband, children would be unclean or not sanctified. But with the believing spouse, they are holy. They're set apart in position. They're in that place of blessing. So here with the kids, the idea is the Christian spouse also brings the influence of God into the home, into the family that wasn't there before. I uh, was reading and I I read about how one woman testified that in their family home, grandma was the only one saved. She was living with the family. And everyone in the family, all the the siblings would get on her case for sharing Jesus. Oh, stop it, grandma, stop it. But in the years that passed, three out of the four children became Christians. And they all attest, they all say because of grandma's influence in the home. That's what Paul is talking about. So his point here is this. For the believer to stay together with the unbelieving spouse is a great opportunity to bring the light of Jesus into the home. To lift up His name where His name wasn't lifted before. That's the, that's the point here. For the believer to stay together with the unbelieving spouse is a great opportunity to bring the light of Jesus into the home. Lifting up the name. Lifting the name. I really, really like what commentator John Philip wrote. He said, with the conversion of one of the members, a new dimension of holiness and sanctity is brought into the home. A new holy and Christ-like lifestyle is exhibited by the believer. 
And I like he puts it this way. God has invaded the home. And now the Holy Spirit is at work on all levels of the family life. I love that. That's what's happened. So Paul's saying, hey, you know, because of the sacredness of marriage, stay. If they want to stay, stay. But on top of that whole, you're going to be a great influence in the home. Now, this kind of situation, I know it brings challenges for the one side, for the believer, right? Light has come into the believer, their new creation, new outlook, new purpose, new goals, a brand new way of living. But on the other side, for the unbeliever, they're still in the darkness. They're living in that sinful flesh. They're living for worldly pleasures and they have that worldly perspective. So it can be a clash yeah, of both worlds. And so even in, in that kind of home, there's clashes that can, can happen. The spiritual and the worldly can create a lot of strife and contention. But remember, who's greater? Who's greater? God is, right? Though it can be hard, have faith in God's power. Believe in the name of Jesus. Honor Him the best you can. Maybe you're in this situation. You know what? Keep lifting up the name. Lift the name of Jesus. We just sang today, what a beautiful name it is. Yeah, The name of Jesus. And then the next course was, what a wonderful name. It is the name of Jesus. And what was the last co- last chorus? What a powerful name the name of Jesus is. That's what we have to remember. Yeah, Darkness cannot overcome light. It may be hard. It may be a struggle. You may be going through a lot of contentions or because of the unbelieving spouse. But I'll tell you, God is there and God is greater. And remember the name of Jesus is much more powerful. A three-year-old little boy wanted some chocolate chip cookies really bad when he went into the grocery store. But the mother was not giving in. Nope, nope. They went down the aisles. I want a chocolate chip cookie. Nope, sit down. Nope. They, they happened to go down the cookie aisle. He stood up in a cart. Mommy, I want chocolate chip cookies. The mother promptly said, sit down. And no, you cannot. Well, at checkout, the little boy thought he'd try again. This time, he stood up and he shouted as loud as he could, In the name of Jesus, may I have chocolate chip cookies? Well, some people laughed. Some people even applauded. But due to the generosity of other shoppers, that day, the mother and the little boy left with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies. What a powerful name it is. <laughs> the name of Jesus. Lifting up the name, you guys. Maintain your honor. Number three in our outline, let's move on. By leading the mission. Maintain your honor by living the promise. Number two, by lifting the name. And now number three, by leading the mission. Paul wraps up here and he comes to that number three thing that we talked about earlier. First Corinthians seven fifteen, he says, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. We'll stop there. Here Paul addresses a situation where an unbelieving spouse wants to leave the marriage and divorce the believing spouse. So Paul says, hey, if the unbeliever departs, 
If they want to get a divorce, you know what? Let them go. Let them go. For the believers in that case is not under bondage. In other words, God will not require the believer to stay single and bound to the marriage. They're free to marry. They're free to go and and find someone else. Find another believer to marry. Remember what is a lawful divorce in God's eyes? When is one free to marry? In the case of death, Romans 7. In the case of adultery, Matthew 19. And here, in 1 Corinthians 7.15, is, is the scripture proof case, or the, the, proof, the scripture that proves that in the case when an unbeliever departs. The believer is not to divorce the unbeliever, but if they want to go, if they want to initiate, let them go. Let them make that choice, right? Let them make the choice not to honor God in that sacredness of marriage, not to honor what God has designed. That's between them and the Lord. But the believing spouse who lets them go, who stuck it in, you know, stuck to it, stayed there, your conscience is clear. You maintain your honor. And on top of that, Paul adds this at the end of verse 15, but God has called us to peace. God knows these situations have their limits and ultimately, you know what? He does want peace for his child. And ultimately, God is taking care of you, watching over you. You are his child. Yeah. Good or bad, handling things good or bad. God loves you. You're his child. He wants to take care of you. Remember, uh, we were talking about Paul is single at this time as he's writing this, right? Remember, we learned that last time. And, and we wonder, well, what happened to his wife? Because he was a Pharisee on the Sanhedrin. He had to have been married. But at the time he was writing, what we saw earlier in chapter 7 here, we, he's, he's talking as he's single. So his wife is no longer there. It could be many believe that the wife left. Why? Because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So you can imagine what Paul's saying. You know what? If they want to leave, if, if, if you being a Christian, you, you living your life the best you can as a Christian in this hard marriage to an unbeliever, if they're like, you know what? I'm, I'm over. I don't want this Jesus stuff. I don't want your Christianity. I'm leaving. Then Paul's saying, let them go. Let them go. John MacArthur said, if the unbelieving husband or wife cannot tolerate the spouse's faith and desires to be free from the union, it's better that the marriage be dissolved in order to preserve the peace of his child. So if there's be any reason for an unbelieving spouse to leave, you know what I say, let it be for Jesus. Yeah? Let it be for Jesus. Not that you're a horrible spouse or you're in the flesh all the time, but let it be for Jesus. And then he adds this in verse 16. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O O husband, whether you will save your wife? The idea is this. You guys, Paul, whatever Paul's saying, whatever situation, there is hope. By either staying with the believer who wants to stay and bringing God into the home. Or letting the unbeliever go who wants to go. There's hope because through you, through your actions and decisions and choices, they could come to know the Lord. If they stay, if the unbeliever stays, you have an opportunity to shine a light of Jesus, to lift his name up and show, you know what? The agape love of God, that unconditional love of God, right? Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and he's writing to wives now. 
who are married to unbelievers or those, maybe even I categorize believers who aren't in obeying the Lord. He wrote in 1 Peter 3, 1, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. So in the way they carry themselves, and it goes on. It goes on in that chapter you could read later. So it could be that they are saved through your efforts of following Christ. If the unbelievers, if they go, you know what? You show that God doesn't force anyone to do His will, right? They have their own choice in how they want to live before God. It's been said, right, that God doesn't send anyone to hell. Right? Because it's the person's choice to accept Jesus or not. God doesn't force anyone. Or he gives everyone a free will and so with the unbelieving spouse. So our last point this morning is this. Whether they stay or leave, the goal for the believing spouse is to lead the unbelieving spouse to salvation, which is really our ultimate calling. Right? That's the goal. Yeah? It's to lead the unbelieving spouse to to salvation, whether they go, whether they stay, either way. J. Vernon McGee said, this should be the goal of the wife, this should also be the goal of the husband who is married to an unsaved. Winning them for Christ should be uppermost in their consideration. Ultimately, it's not winning the argument that matters, but winning the spouse to the Lord. We've been commissioned as believers anyway, right? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. That's our calling, you guys. And if you're married to an unbeliever, that's your calling. That's your mission. That's where you lead the mission yourself. Don't wait for the pastor to call your unbelieving mission. You, know, you better call him and so he can pray with him. No, you know what? You're the best witness. You're the best testimony. You're the best one who knows that unbelieving spouse deeper in and out more than anyone else. You should be leading the mission yourself. Love them to Jesus, not hate them out of the marriage. That's what God is saying here. That's what Paul's writing. Whether they stay or leave, the goal for the believing spouse is to lead the unbelieving spouse to salvation. I read about how one Christian wife had argued for many months with her unbelieving husband over her bringing her Christian friends to their home for, for a prayer group, the prayer meeting here. But one day she read in the Bible that it was God's plan for her to submit to her unbelieving husband, especially if he wasn't saved, and win him over without a word. And that's what I just read to you, First Peter chapter 3. So she changed her life. She changed her thinking. She changed her attitude. She listened more and she spoke less. She was less stubborn and more submissive. She stopped retaliating and became more forgiving. And she told him why having a prayer group, she was honest, was important to her, but that she was going to respect his wishes. To her surprise, the next week when she was getting ready to go to the prayer group at a friend's home, her husband said that he was going with her. Isn't it awesome? And that was the beginning of his decision to follow Jesus Christ. Well, as we come to a close, we need to do all we can to live and honor God. And to let the heart and love of Jesus be shining out of us. Yeah? To do those things that, that reflect who we are, that reflect 
God's heart and His care. I want to close with this. Um, this past week at the pastor's conference, uh, spending some time with Pastor Ron Hint. You know, he's, he comes here every year, year. He's a pastor of Calvary Houston. And he was sharing with me, I was getting more detail about Hurricane Harvey when it blew through, came through Houston there. He was right in the middle of that whole thing. He told me how other houses in his neighborhood were, were flooded, but the water only came up to his driveway and spared his house. But... In order to get to church, which wasn't too far away, he, uh, someone came with a boat. And they had to go by boat to get to the church where normally you would be driving. He told me that the church was spared too. I mean, all around different places and businesses got flooded. But he told me if the, the water rose on one more inch, it would have came right into their church and they would have been flooded out. Well, because God spared the church, they were able to take in, he said, about 300 people during that time. He said 100 animals, 300 people all in the sanctuary, sleeping all over and everything like that. On the last day of the rain of, well, and you remember the news reports were over like, it was like 50 inches, yeah, of rain that came down in Houston. Uh, they, the news people were saying that, well, this can take weeks and months for the water to recede. You know, I was thinking about Noah and the flood, you know, took a while, right? He said miraculously about five hours later, the water had gone down enough. Where then right away they set up a tent and, and uh, uh, they started giving food out. The first day they gave out 2,000 meals. And, 2000, and every day was, they got more and more. Overall it was over 100,000 people that they gave meals to. They are reaching out to the community for help in the best way they could. Well, he, then he told me this story with one of his guys on staff. They were able to... Uh, help his parents. Their parents' home got all flooded. They had to even go back. They were also going back and help mucking. They called mucking out the homes with all the mud and everything. And so even one of his guys on staff, the parents, his parents, they went and helped, gave them food, housed them in the church and all, all that. But let me tell you, his parents, the staff parents, they had left the church years ago, like 10 years ago, upset over something that happened in the, the youth group. And, and they, they would have nothing to do with, with their church and the people there, even though the, the son was on staff. But they reached out anyway, helped them out, mocked their home, gave them places to stay, gave them food. Well, something happened inside of them. After all that love and help, they ended up, after 10 years now, I think it was more than that, 12 years, rededicating their lives to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, yeah? See, when you honor God by how you live, as you live like Jesus, as you love like Jesus, as you care and help like Jesus, it will affect your family, your kids, your unbelieving spouse. It will. It will. Honor God by holding to God's design for marriage. Honor God by living an honorable life. Make sure you maintain your honor. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much, God, for your word. Lord, it clarifies things, but it may even touch on things, Lord, that that bring up some hurts, Lord. But God, we want to be open before you and we want to live before you, God. We want to obey you and live out your principles. So help us today. Help us to live in a way that those in our family, our unbelieving spouses, even our believing spouses, know that Jesus is in us. 
Lord, forgive us for failing you in this area, for allowing attitudes to fester, uh, for retaliation when we shouldn't, for letting our sinful flesh to take over in our marriages. Lord, I, I also pray for those who are struggling right now in their marriages and relationships. I pray you bring healing. I pray that you bring forgiveness, that you bring love, and you bring Jesus, Lord, that you come into the middle. Lord, I pray for those who have been through divorces and separations. And Lord, I, I, I've seen how painful it is, Lord. It's deep because the oneness we have in marriage is very deep and intimate. It goes down to our soul and spirit. It's not just the physical. It's not just the emotional. not just our mind, but it's our heart. And Lord, I pray for those who have gone through those horrible things divorces and separations that you would heal them help them and touch them god that as we all have done unforgivable acts that you would forgive us by your blood lord that you would cleanse us and that you would give us a new start lord in you a new life lord lord help me help everyone here to do all we can to live for you to honor you and to be careful to give you all the glory In Jesus' name, amen.